This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. Current Community Affairs. Connecting. Uplifting. Representing. Informing. Celebrating. Empowering. Sharing your passions. You are on the line with Dean Beck. My co-host today is Paul Kidd, who last week, uh, a little, just over a week ago, um, was centre front when Charlie Sheen went public about his HIV status. Uh, Paul Kidd, you were... Uh, called upon to comment in that space. Um, tell me what that experience was like. Um, you know, it's one. Of, it's the perfect storm for us in <laughs> HIV. It's it's kind of one of those things that you think would never happen uh, again, and it's happened in the past. And and there's a real, uh, I think, a sense of. Uh, you know, when we heard that this story was going to break, we knew how big it would be, uh, and we were just, uh, you know, obviously very aware of the potential for media coverage around a story like uh, like that to to be very negative and very stigmatising and very damaging uh, to the work that we do to try and combat HIV stigma. So, you know, the good thing for us was that we kind of had a day's notice of it. You know, that the story broke a day before it broke. Look, it's a good thing in if, from that end, but. I was um, I was uh, called upon by a couple of uh, organisations as well to pass comment, and I said I'm not happy commenting until I see those words come out of his mouth, um, because anything prior to that is just conjecture, and 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 uh, that is about uh, disclosure and and not on when someone else is disclosing. Yeah, that's right. And that's one of the really, uh, you know, whatever you think about Charlie Sheen, and I don't actually know too much about Charlie Sheen, but he's, got, no, he's had some I. trouble in the past. <laughs> but, you know, whatever you think about him him personally, everybody who's HIV positive has the right to keep their HIV status to themselves. It's a private fact about yourself that you are not obliged to share with anybody, except in some pretty specific circumstances, such as where you're going to have sex with someone where there's going to be a risk that HIV could be transmitted. Obviously, you have an obligation to disclose in that situation but apart from that HIV should be your own business and you know the story you know that he was blackmailed and he was forced into into coming out as HIV it's just terrifying mm. and in this day and age in 2015 that such a big deal would be made over the fact that someone had HIV and that he felt that he needed to keep a secret you know which is a it, it's an aspect of stigma but then that people were using that against him and it's a, it's it's a story that really um, resonated resonated with me and with a lot of positive people because lots of people when they tell someone responsibly that they're actually positive they suffer suffer negative effects that uh blackmailing space uh to me spoke about internalized stigma and because um, you can only blackmail someone if you've got something over them and and that rang huge alarm bells to me about uh how uh it can be leveraged yeah. Look, there's a degree of that, but there's also, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know that it's a wholly um, an, a, a question of internalised stigma. I think that if you are Charlie Sheen, sure. then, you know, the, there's a significant impact that would have on your career, on your, uh, you know, on your personal life and so forth. It's it's not a wholly kind of that you're ashamed of. No, of no, no. But, but it speaks to that, that, yeah. that whole sort of external, internal thing, you yeah. know. And look, that's the thing about stigma. It's not just what other people think about you. 
you, it affects the way you think about yourself. And that's a really harmful thing that you know, many HIV people have to deal with. So 7.30 in the morning, uh, you're on commercial radio. I, I heard it. <laughs> I got an alert. Oh. I don't normally listen to it, but I got a phone call yeah. saying, coming up next, uh, tune in. It woke me up. I'm not normally up at that community hour. community radio. <laughs> One of my uh, colleagues no. here rang me. Yeah, look, we got to do a bit of a bit of media. And as I say, we had the heads up that was going to happen. So uh, my partner, who's a, uh, he's the CEO of Living Positive Victoria, and uh, Simon from the VAC, and uh, and uh, people on the national level were all uh, kind of uh, you know, sprang into action. It was... It, I was having a conversation with Brent, my, my husband, about it, and a lot of the time in the HIV sector you feel like you're competing with people and you spend a lot of time kind of criticising and maybe sniping about other people's work, and there's a certain amount of that stuff that goes on that most people be aware of. But when something like this happens, it's, it reminds you why we do the work that we do, that people did spring into action to combat what, what could have been a incredibly stigmatising media event uh, and you know without any need for coordination everyone was in lockstep everyone was working in partnership and I think you know to be quite frank we had a really good result because the Australian media reporting on this has been on the whole pretty good. Now I said that too and have received some criticism for saying so but I think uh, where the uh, stuff went awry is of course in the social media commentary not so much in the actual public media space. Yeah, well, that's always the way. And I know that some of the breakfast radio programs, not the one that I was on, because they wouldn't dare, <laughs> but some of the breakfast radio programs I heard were... Well, I didn't hear them, but yeah. I, I heard back Since that there was yeah. some, pretty, yeah. uh, some pretty salty, you know, not very attractive commentary went on. We spoke about uh, your work earlier in uh, getting 19A repealed, and you said that there's still quite a bit more work to be done, and that's about moving it from a legal response to being a health response. Can you explain that a little further for us? Yeah, um, so 19A uh, was obviously a a very important uh, symbolic victory for us and also an important practical victory for us because that was a, a very problematic law. But the reality is that when people are prosecuted... Uh, for HIV-related crimes in Victoria, it's usually under other provisions in the criminal law, and we're not advocating for legislative change in that area. But what we do uh, believe is that we have two sets of laws. One of them is the public health uh, law that uh, under the Health and Wellbeing Act, and the other one's the criminal law, and they need to work together. They need to work in a, in a, uh, a compatible way. And as a general proposition, we, you know, the position across uh, the HIV sector is that people shouldn't be prosecuted for HIV. It doesn't do any good in terms of prevention of HIV and that's what we're all about, is preventing people becoming HIV positive. There's really clear evidence that it doesn't have that effect. And in fact, it can have the reverse effect because you know when people get prosecuted, it's in the papers that drives stigma. Stigma drives people to not want to disclose their status. Stigma drives people to do sometimes the wrong thing around uh, sex and that can lead to, uh, lead to bad outcomes. That can actually lead to an increase in the number of people... It stops people from getting tested. It stops people from getting tested. It stops people from going on treatment. Mm. Uh, People who are HIV positive know this very well, that when you're confronted with the reality of of being positive, the last thing you want is to to have that in your face on a daily basis. And so people avoid taking treatment because they don't want to be reminded of this thing that they have processed as being something that is a criticism of them or that's a commentary on their morality or their behaviour. Is there a period... uh, Is there an... um 
a goal that uh, your legal working group is heading towards that you can sign off and then walk away or is it going to be something that you have to sort of constantly oversee or, or how does that work? Yeah, look, we, we, I think it's something that will be an ongoing right. uh, ongoing thing. Uh, we certainly, uh, you know, our goal would be to see no more prosecutions for reckless transmission or for endangerment in Victoria. We think Which is not to say that uh, there wouldn't be cases where uh, the law would have to step in. Look, the one situation in which we, we would agree, and I think everybody would agree, the law has, the criminal law has a role to play, is where somebody intentionally actually infects someone with HIV. So that's the, you know, the syringe bandit or the, or the, you know, the, the very serious kind of case. Now, the fact of the matter is that has never happened in Victoria. There's never been a case proven in court where someone intentionally infected someone with HIV, and that's something that we can all be very proud and happy about. But certainly, if something like that happened, that person, in my opinion, should go to jail. Um, the reality is that, we, that what people are prosecuted for is making mistakes in you know, being careless in not taking adequate precautions, and we think the right way to intervene with those people is to uh, is to bring them into the public health system. The public health system has incredibly strong powers, in some ways stronger than the criminal law. To uh, but it, it, the way the process works is not about punishment; it's about changing people's behaviour and getting them back on the right track and keeping them in society and keeping them working and keeping them with their families. You know, not lock, locking them away to punish them. Now, earlier this week, just a couple of days ago, I went along to the launch of Touch Base, which is a new resource that was put out by Living Positive Victoria. No, it wasn't. It was put out by the Victorian AIDS Council, uh, the Australian Drug Foundation and the Australian Federation of AIDS Organisations. It's a tremendous resource which, uh, for the first time, I think, uh, combines mental health uh, drug use and HIV in the same space. I spoke to the CEO of the Victorian AIDS Council, Simon Ruth, just after the launch. Australia's first LGBTI alcohol and drug resource has just been launched. It's called Touchbase. You can find it at touchbase.org.au. And a man who's worked in the alcohol and drug sector for quite some time is the CEO of Victorian AIDS Council, Simon Ruth. Um, this has been a bit of a pet project for you. Uh, yes, and this is a project of love. Back back in the 90s put out a resource that was groundbreaking at the time that talked about how gay men use drugs and uh, interactions with HIV meds and it was an incredibly important resource at the time. We have updated it finally. We've talked about it for years and it hasn't happened but we've finally updated it to a website for the whole LGBTIQ communities. Uh, it talks about all the different drugs we use, the way we use drugs, how to use drugs safely which is the most important part and it also talks about the interactions with HIV meds and also for hormones, for people who are on hormones, uh, for their gender diversity. One of the interesting aspects of that original resource, which only received one print run, was its interaction and, and described the interactions that uh, took place with HIV medications. This new paradigm of incorporating the interaction between drugs and hormones, I guess it speaks to the emerging uh, trans community that uh, are now very much embraced by one and all. Yeah, so the trans community are certainly much more present now in the um, LGBTI rainbow than they were back in the 90s. And there are a lot of interactions between hormones and recreational drugs. And it's an, we, we have never found a, a resource anywhere in the world that actually speaks to this. There's no other websites that we know that do it. And we're finding out more all the time. It is an area that's, you know, there's not a lot of information about it. But as we've run through a couple of the 
um, drafts of the website. People have been feeding us back with little bits of research that they've found and different personal interactions. You know, a lot of the information on the website comes from individuals who've told us this is what happens to me when I use that drug. And so that's, you know, a lot of this is very community-based information that we're providing. This is a joint venture between the Australian Drug Foundation, uh, the Victorian AIDS Council, and AFAO, the Australian Federation of AIDS Organisations. Where are all of the others? <laughs> you know, we, we were the ones who were lucky enough to get the grant for this. Uh, the Australian Drug Foundation provide an amazing library and their own amazing websites with information around drugs for the general community. So they were a natural partner on this for us because they were able to, they have researchers, they're able to do a lot of the work on it for us, even though it was our concept. Uh, and AFAO came on as well because they were actually thinking of doing something similar. All the AIDS councils will be featured on the website. There are links through to all of their sites, to the drug and alcohol services in each state. Um, there, there are hardly any GLBTI-specific drug and alcohol programs. There's VAC and there's one at ACON. Uh, but we're hoping that through this site and through the research that's coming out, it will support all the others to establish similar services around the country. Simon Ruth, uh, I've been banging on for six years about uh, the link between alcohol and drugs, mental health and sexual health. This is the first time I've seen those three elements positioned and identified in one space. Why is that? I think, you know, there's a lot of work out there around drugs and alcohol and mental health. The gay community, we're a sex-positive community. Uh, we talk much more openly about it and I, I think it's an area that a lot of traditional health professionals are quite uncomfortable and that's why we need GLBTI specific drug and alcohol programs because you know if a guy wants to come in and talk about sex parties and things like that your, your general drug and alcohol program will not feel comfortable managing that or, or your general mental health program um, so this is it's important that we lead this uh, but I would hope that we would start to see in the general community um, attitudes start to change so that those general websites would start to consider sexual health uh, along with their comorbid mental health and drug issues. The feedback I've had tonight uh, suggests that the language used in this particular website, which I should say is touchbase.org.au, is non-stigmatising and it's gender neutral, it is neutral in, its, um, in the way it's uh, stylized. It's not positioned for sexually adventurous people, it's positioned for all people within the LGBTIQ communities. Yes, it is. I mean, VAC is a community organisation. We are, we are membership-based, our community runs us, our community works for us, and it's a community-based website. It would never be stigmatising. Uh, we, are, we are the queer communities, we use drugs, we want to celebrate that, and we want to make sure people can do it safely. It does link to our other websites, so our Sexually Adventurous Men's website, this will link to. Um, it does discuss sex, quite frankly, and it will link to the other websites like Acon's How Hard website, and it certainly leads people into those areas if they want to go into it. Um, but it is a, a website for the whole community, and, and we've uh, created it that way. I have to say this is the most exciting uh, production that I've seen back to in, in at least 10 years. Congratulations. It's, it's great work. Uh, thank you, Dean. Simon Root, CEO of Victorian AIDS Council, joining us on Joy. Paul Kidd, an amazing resource, uh, done very well, and a very brave move, I'd suggest. 
Yeah, look, you know, whenever any HIV organisation, you know, wants to do something that that is this direct and this uh, challenging, often, you know, it, it's a it's a big gamble for them because uh, because funding agencies are run by politicians and politicians are naturally very very nervous. But if you want to communicate effectively to people about things like drugs and like sex, you've got to be direct. You've got to speak the language of the people that you're talking to. And this website is so amazing. It's so detailed and yet it's so accessible it's it's incredibly straightforward it's totally non-judgmental it simply responds to the fact that people do take drugs and you know drugs come with great upsides and they sometimes come with downsides so you know being aware of of that stuff really is going to have a great impact on uh, the health of the community so well done to the VAC. Dr Ruth McNair spoke at uh, the launch of the uh, website and I saw um, Bang from uh, Paran Market so uh, the doc- Doctors that work in this sector clearly understand the importance of something like this. Um, why is it that uh, there has been so um, little uh, leadership in this space until now? I mean, I've seen for the first time mental health, drugs and HIV put in the same space for the first time in 30 years. Yeah. Look, I don't know that this is the first time that that's ever been attempted or done. I think that, that AIDS councils in particular have been talking about safer drug use for a long time and that started to, started in the mid-1980s mid when we were talking about safer injecting and we had uh, an, you know, a number of policy wins including the decriminalisation of, of uh, needle exchanges in the 1980s which was, has had a huge impact on HIV. But, you know, it's, uh, I think it's something that has been part of the conversation uh, and there have been better and worse attempts at it. And, uh, you know, just with, as with safe sex campaigns, some of them are great and some of them are less great. Is it about political uh, willpower or about uh, sector leadership? What, what is it? Um, look, I think that that you need really good leadership in the HIV sector, the people who are able to make the case and get the approvals and get get uh, the people in the department on side because they're the ones who, who are then going to advocate with the minister and make sure that, that those things can happen. I mean, it's every politician's, you know, every minister's worst nightmare is to have the backbenchers stand up in Parliament with a pamphlet in his hand and say, what the bloody hell is this? You know, are we paying for that? And it's it's something that's always been an issue in in, uh, in our community because, you know, we are a community that celebrates the fact that we have great sex with each other and we, you know, use drugs as well and we have our, our celebrations. It's, a, it's an integrated part of what the gay community is about. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, it does require leadership uh, from the, the sector to get that work done and, you know, well done to the VAC again. Coinciding with the launch of the touchbase.org.au website, uh, we heard uh, and I interviewed Jason Baldwin. He was representing the Institute of Many and they were launching their new resource, Turning Tina. Let's have a listen to that. Uh, so I turned up oh, to the launch of VAC's new resource for alcohol and drugs and I ran into an old mate of mine that I haven't seen for probably 10 or 15 years. It turns out he's living in Japan, but he's here launching a special resource through the Institute of Many. Jason Ball, welcome. Thanks for joining us. G'day, good to be here. Now tell us about this uh, Turning Tina component of the Institute of Many's website. What can I say? It's a, it's a resource aimed specifically at positive queer men, trans, bi, gay men, um, specifically to monitor and kind of give you a, a guide and, uh, about keeping on track keeping it under control. 
this is the first time we've seen some sort of acknowledgement by the sector that crystal is even an issue in the sector. For many of us, it's too little too late. What do you hope to achieve out of this? We hope to achieve kind of an ongoing more even keel attitude towards it from people that use from even from people that don't use for people to be able to see this as even an approachable resource that they can have a look at uh, so too often we see so many people within the I mean within all communities but particularly within the pos community of people that are get either really judgy about it or really defensive about it so a resource like this is something great because it's like hey here it is this is not saying yes yes go and do it it's saying this is how to look after yourself and I think that's the that's the take-home message it's how to look after yourself how to make it something we can talk about so that way if you do go too far down that rabbit hole it's actually quite easy for you to say to your mates hey something's going on you're releasing it in stages. Can you explain that for us? Because there was so much, we didn't want to just dump it all out there straight away. And also, by releasing it in four stages, we're able to kind of gauge the reaction and the response to it as we go along. And, you know, should we need to modify it? We can, but it's kind of nice to be able to just issue it in bits. Hey, what's next? Oh, and then there's another bit and more and more. It's wonderful to see uh, a non-judgmental space. You know, for so many people that are dealing with their crystal use, uh, it's some of it's about coping, some of it's about not coping, and both of those areas need to be explored and talked about. Absolutely, absolutely. And for many people, exactly like you say, it's about dealing with it or not dealing with it, hiding from it, you know, running face first into it. And this, hopefully, is a way of sparking conversation with people, so making it easier to approach and talk about and say, hey, this is where I'm at with it. Turning Tina is the new resource available at the Institute of Many's website, which is theinstituteofmany.org.au. Jason, you're in Japan these days. What are you doing over there? I am. Um, I'm over there doing various bits and pieces, but my most exciting work is working with Peer Support Tokyo, and it's it's a peer support program for expats in Japan. When I got there, there was absolutely nothing in English. The Japanese have a a very, a very thorough way of looking at things, but a very different way of looking at things to everyone else. So it's been great to provide this, another resource for people over there living with HIV. And it's been great to meet you again after all these years, and thanks for joining us on Joy. My pleasure. Great to see you, buddy. Now, Paul Kidd, uh, you are familiar with the work of the Institute of Many. Um, well, tell us about this uh, Turning Tina uh, exercise and, and from... As I said to Jason there, uh, it's being rolled out over a series of weeks and it's really about an ongoing sort of dialogue from what I can gather. Yeah, look, I think uh, use of crystal meth is a, a big issue in our, our community. Lots of uh, people uh, are concerned about it. Uh, there's obviously a lot of media uh, interest in uh, in ice and uh, uh, crystal. Uh, and so I turned up to the launch with, uh, of Vax HIV, it's, a, uh, it's an issue too, and there's certainly levels of use of, of crystal in, in the HIV-positive gay male community are higher than they are in other parts of the community. So it's fantastic to see this resource coming out of the Institute of Manny, Tim, uh, which is a grassroots organisation. They're not a, not a member of the kind of funded HIV sector. Uh, they've produced this 
based on the membership of that group. There are about uh, more than a thousand people are members of that of that group across the country, and they've drawn on on the experiences of people. So in the resource, you hear the the authentic stories about about people's use, about how they've managed it, how how you know what has happened when they when they've had problems with it, and how they've responded to that. And it's very practical advice. It's about safer using. It's not about about saying you should or you shouldn't use uh, this particular drug. It's about about if you use. Here are some tips that can keep you safe. My understanding is that it will also help inform some of the ongoing work on the Touch Base website as well uh, as it unfolds. Um, and uh, uh, is it important that we have organisations like this to do things that are somewhat at arm's length of the sector? Um, yeah, I think it is. I think it helps uh, to be able to do that, as we were talking about before. You know, sometimes it is politically difficult to get sure. these things done and to have a have an organisation like Tim be able to step into that space and, and add to the conversation really, really helps. And we're, you know, really fortunate at the moment to have... Uh, uh, Grassroots HIV activism happening again in this country, and particularly here in Melbourne, with uh, with the groups that are advocating around PrEP to see uh, gay men getting active, and you know, not necessarily just kind of standing for the board of a, an organisation or or getting a job working for for one of our AIDS organisations, but actually, you know, uh, taking to the to the metaphorical streets with uh, with uh, you know, pushing for better support for people, better access to to new treatments, and and particularly to PrEP. You know, that's an amazing thing that we have. Well, that, uh, that poster campaign has certainly uh, inspired uh, so much conversation within our community. It will form the foundation of the PrEP Forum that's taking place this coming Tuesday at 11am. I'm lucky enough to be able to uh, be invited to host that. Um, we will have people in that forum that are taking it, uh, people on the trial, people accessing it from uh, overseas. We'll have uh, both Simon Ruth and Brent Allen uh, as the heads of the two organisations in this state and Professor Edwina Wright, who's leading the trial. And uh, there'll be also uh, people who are connected to the issue uh, coming along, and I'm hoping that uh, they will be able to um, really contribute to the ongoing conversation regarding PrEP um, that uh, no doubt that's, that poster campaign really did spark. I mean, like, like nothing else we've seen for quite some time. Yeah, I mean, whether you, whether you want to take the position that the poster campaign sparked it or perhaps the poster campaign was just a, a visible sign of what was already happening in the background. You know, people are really, really keen to see this, uh, tri- this uh, preventative technology become available. Joy 94.9 is a GLBTIQ community radio station in Melbourne, Australia. Support Joy 94.9 by becoming a member at joy.org.au. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA community media organisation, Joy. Help us keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.